1: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void rep prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Muddy Knees Media. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule. Kate also with you here and a jolly good day to you too. Alongside me, well, she's Zooming with managers, players and virtually jetting off from her sofa around the country uh, to cover seemingly
0: nearly every match. It's busy Lindsay Hooper. Hi, Lynn. zoom is the key word there i should have <laughs> shares in that place you really should and
2: uh oh it's so good seeing her back on our sky sports news screens. she's settled in she's rocking and rolling it's hayley mcmummy queen oh thank you thank and
0: you. looking amazing hayley oh, post thanks. baby and everything wow yeah, so like, i'm loving tell- the outfits
2: Yeah, we should we should tell our listeners, if you've not been keeping up with us during lockdown, Mm -hmm. Hayley, you started sort of a bit of an exercise regime, didn't you, during lockdown?
1: I didn't realise everyone on earth would be doing the very same thing. I thought, oh, I'm gonna do something a bit different here. I'm gonna set myself a challenge and give myself something to do in lockdown when there was hardly anything to do apart from get out and get some fresh air when we had that lovely summer. Do you remember the summer that we had that we're hoping comes back again? And um me and my other half decided to do like a push your limits challenge. So I'm not somebody who frequents the gym an awful lot. I go occasionally, but I go just more for the enjoyment of it as opposed to pushing myself and setting myself targets. But I'm like, I work in sport. I really should be a little bit more sporty and I've had a baby and I needed to lose some baby weight and just kind of get healthy really because I'm absolutely knackered. All I want to do is eat cake, chocolates, crisps and biscuits. Especially when when you're breastfeeding at first because you're just exhausted. You just want to eat. And I'm not even breastfeeding. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just um, before we recorded this, I had mm -hmm. a Tanux tea cake. Oh, Oh, I love
1: them. Yes. Bite the top off (laughs) <laughs> or you knock it on the table, don't you? With the tin foil. take that off. It's like how to Slurple eat all a the marshmallow. Egg. Yep, and then just crunch away on the biscuit at the end, and then look in the mirror twenty minutes later, and you've still got white I'm marshmallow around the bit. edge. Yep, there you go. But yeah, I just thought, you know what? I am going to set myself a little challenge with my other half, and we really did push ourselves every couple of days, and without kind of trying too hard, I have lost nearly five stone. That's a granted, I put on just over four stone having a baby, but I didn't really care about the weight. It was only they made me get on the scales the day before I had her. So I knew exactly how much I weighed. So yeah, I'm quite proud of myself. And I've gone back to Sky Sports News and all my clothes are far too big. So I've got a whole new
2: wardrobe which is a great way to secure a new wardrobe I have to say. I know know you've been playing or had been playing a bit of tennis until injury curtailed your burgeoning (laughs) tennis career. Um, Anything else that I I mean I suppose you've not had much time apart
0: from exercising your hands on that start Zoom call button (laughs) right? I'm very good as well at typing now. I've got really quick with all the transcribes I have to do. (laughs) Um, I'm actually out playing tennis again so I've been doing it for the last 10 days maybe now. Um, I eased myself back in Gently, and I have my first singles match on Sunday. I love that, you, you, that you're that you easing yourself in gently. And when you say you started
2: playing tennis again, I think, well, she'll just be having a few knock around. She'll just be have, having a bit of fun. No, you've already got the first match scheduled in. <laughs> Very good. Um, I like those uh, those serious intentions there. I've, I've been doing a bit of running and a bit of Pilates, but I've been really tired this last week or so. so but
1: funnily been... enough, you've been tired because you've been up through the night broadcasting <laughs> yeah. every night, which has been brilliant. I love it. I think the Times have done. Oh, thank you. We're allowed to plug here. I think they've done an amazing, amazing job of, of launching a new radio station and being able to listen to it as well afterwards, sort of like a podcast a little bit like ours as yeah. well.
0: Yeah, well, well, you can done. check it out,
2: folks, if you're I'm your home.
0: biggest fan in the first hour.
2: <laughs> yes, me too.
0: <laughs> Until you fall asleep. Great, lovely. Well, I shall take that
2: with me and no. hold it close throughout the weekend ahead, ladies. Thank you. Um Well, look, we made some final run-in predictions, didn't we, last week? And then Bournemouth beat Leicester they had a draw as well and they probably arguably should have got a draw against city so Bournemouth by all accounts doing um pretty well in their escape um Chelsea lost to Sheffield Watford and Villa both won this all affects things of course and so the question is do you want to deter from your final three predictions you've got one chance producer abbie's let me have give you one little pass basically really? do you want to change your opinion As to the bottom three. So we're still going
0: Bournemouth, Villa and obviously Norwich. Mm -hmm. So I said Bournemouth will finish above Villa, but that they will still go down. I still think that's going to happen. I think a lot rests as well on this game between West Ham and Watford. Um, Towards the top, I still think Leicester could drop out of the top four. Um, Had Manchester United got three points last time out, then they would be fifth. Uh, That draw against Southampton means they're just about still in there. They might have a good reaction for one match after after what I think will be a, a Brendan Rogers roasting. But I still think they're going to drop points. So I think Manchester United will get in the top four.
2: Well, there's lots of... Potential changing around, of course, um, best best left not discussing Liverpool's form since they won the Premier League. But um, to all intents and purposes, who cares? I think I by and large agree that these bottom three are going to stay the same. let must just point out, though, uh, we're recording this on Thursday and Villa will be away to Everton this evening. Yeah, and I'm hoping that Man United
1: don't drop points to Crystal Palace. That would be an absolute travesty, but you never know what's going to happen in games like this. They've got a massive game in the FA Cup coming up, and that's against Chelsea. And then you think they'd have two winnable games at the end of the season. You've got West Ham, that's Old Trafford, but then Leicester away. And I'm just hoping it doesn't come down to playing Leicester at the King Power to decide who gets a Champions League spot. Um, But I, I am going to stick with Manchester United finishing in fourth. I just can't stress how important it is to the club. I think if Leicester get there, it'll just be a little bit of an added bonus. For Man United, it's something that has to happen.
0: I must issue a correction as well from last week's predictions in the podcast because I got all confused. I did say Man United were going to play Chelsea still. And of course, I meant Leicester and they're playing Chelsea in the FA Cup. So um, I did get that wrong last (laughs) week. (laughs) If you're listening to this... Um, best wishes. I do hope
2: that you're keeping up with us <laughs> as we <laughs> as we run through all the ramifications. I, I am going to leave it there in case anyone else has steam coming out their ears. But of course, we will be revisiting this. Um, we're with you all the way through until the end of the month on this show. So lap it out whilst you can. Uh, coming up this week, uh, we've all been playing board games in lockdown. I know, Lindsay, you've been um, you've been steaming away on them. Um, but if your team were a board game, this is our question: Which would they be? And why and with the first teaser for all or nothing coming out this week that's the impending spurs documentary uh, we reveal the seasons we'd like to have seen a fly on the wall documentary of Uh, and there's our usual dose of any other business coming up too plus a reminder that you can listen to us on jack radio fridays at four o'clock in the afternoon Okay. well, topic one is called Flying the Canary's Nest. (laughs) It's one down and two to go after Norwich's sad relegation to the championship was confirmed. They lost 4-0 to West Ham and that sealed their fate. And if our predictions from last week are to come true, then we've, as we've said, Bournemouth and Aston Villa uh, could join them in the second division of football. What I want to know, though... Let's try and look. Well, I was going to say that the positives, but it's not positive. It's not a positive for these teams. But who could exercise a rescue plan away from those sides? So could any Canaries, Cherries or villains still find themselves kicking a Premier League football next season? Beyond, of course, Jack Grealish, who we fully expect to be snapped up by a Premier League team. That one's obvious. Uh, so question marks then as to who else might join him from the current bottom three teams as we record. Norwich. Bournemouth and Aston Villa? Lindsay?
0: Well, I think we'll start with a striker because they are a rare commodity, a striker that scores 10 plus goals per season. And in most campaigns for Bournemouth, Callum Wilson has done just that. So I think somebody will circle and, and bring Callum Wilson to their club. And looking at all of the options... I've honed in on Burnley because Burnley have got quite an ageing squad up front. You've got Jay Rodriguez, who's 30, Ashley Barnes, who's 30 and Callum Wilson's 28. So I think you could get a couple more seasons, bring him in to turf more. And it's a fresh looking front three or front two, depending, you know, with with Wood and Vidra. Uh, By the way, they'd all be 28 as well. They'd be the same age.
2: Oh, nice. A nice bit of synchronicity there. I've picked out Norwich's Todd Cantwell, midfielder, 22. In fact, a lot of the players I've picked out are are young and for that reason full of potential, perhaps haven't realised everything um, with their current club, him being at Norwich. Six goals and two assists for this season um, so far as I have it. It's not amazing, but I think what's exciting about Cantwell is his versatility, number one, his work ethic. He's got good technique as well. So I think in terms of going to another club, it's the the sort of appeal of being quite a broad footballer, well-rounded. Liverpool have been linked to him, but I'm sure other clubs will be as well, I guess the the sense from Liverpool's side would be with Lalana and Shaqiri likely to go, they're going to be in need of reinforcements in that particular area so for me, Todd Campwell, young player, and I think he could be really useful, let's not too rule out Crystal Palace, they've got a a really ageing team, I think in fact they've you know fielded the oldest team in the Premier League on a few occasions this season. So in terms of some of these young players, Crystal Palace is a good place to think about them going if they are useful and fairly developed already, I would say.
1: Well, I remember when John McGinn made his way down to England, was gutted to see him leave Scottish football, but he was destined for big things as well. It's nice as well to see that big names in Scotland make their way down to England and absolutely cut it, which is exactly what he did. He's full of energy. His work rate is second to none. Plays so well with Grealish. And obviously, if that partnership is kind of uh, broken down, you just wonder how he's going to feel about staying at Aston Villa. He's only 25. He's a proven goal scorer. It's mainly his work rate, which is second to none, that I... I have him down for as being um, a player that quite a few clubs I'm sure will try and snatch I think his price will have gone down the tiniest little bit as well he of course Mm. suffered a really bad injury I think it was a fractured ankle he was out for a considerable amount of time and he hasn't quite managed to get back to the fitness and and um that we saw of him before lockdown. But I think that's kind of no surprise. But it is good for him that this has happened because it's meant that he's got a few more games under his belt before potentially moving away from the club. You almost think as well, maybe he he owes it to Villa for him not to leave, to try and stay at the club because they obviously helped him rehabilitate from his uh, uh, ankle. But he could be a good signing And I'm thinking for maybe Manchester United. Leicester is a club that he's been linked with... What Brendan Rodgers has done with Leicester, his association with Scottish football, maybe John McGinn can be talked into going there, which again would be a big coup because obviously they're rivals, aren't they? It's from that part of the world. He would fit in, in my opinion, very well in Newcastle. I think Newcastle wouldn't be too bad a move, but goodness knows what's happening up there at the moment with with the club and everything that's um, going on with owners and how much money they're going to have. I could see him fitting into Manchester United quite easily, but if he wants regular football and he wants to go somewhere and sign a long-term deal at just the, the tender age of 25, Leicester City it is for me.
0: Yeah. My next one is Emiliano Buendia from Norwich, who I have mentioned on the podcast before. He caught my eye earlier in the season. I think this this Argentinian player has got so much potential. And with the right coach bringing out his talent, I think he could be unstoppable. That's how good I think he is in this Norwich team. And he's only 23. And Because I think he's so good. You know, get lost, Atletico Madrid, apparently they're Mm. interested. Get lost, Leeds, they're quite keen as well. Bring in Wolves. Uh, Everyone knows I'm a Wolves fan. But we've got Jean Moutinho in midfield, who's 33 and is my favourite player, but he isn't going to go on forever. Wouldn't it be a wise move from Nuno to bring in someone like Buendia if he fits the mould of the club and he's got the right attitude? I'm not sure about that side of his game, but if he has, and that's important to Nuno, then why not bed him in for a season and have Moutinho starting alongside Neves, but then giving him the opportunity to be introduced. And then next season alongside Neves, I think they could do pretty well. Hayley, do you want to track in with another one? Yeah, well...
1: I just think looking ahead, things are going to change with this transfer market. We've talked about it before. After coronavirus, we don't know what's gonna happen with money being as readily available. There are obviously more substitutes to be introduced. Um, We might see more young players being given a bit more of a chance. So I've got a young player who's going to be leaving Norwich and it's Max Ahrens. And I think he could potentially go on to Spurs, despite what people might think about Mourinho, not looking likely to sign young talent. I think he's too good to stay at Norwich. He's part of the England under-21s. He's a regular starter. He joined from Luton actually in 2016. So he didn't come through the Norwich Academy, but he's English. He was so unfazed when he made his debut against um, Ipswich in that Big East Anglian derby. It was his first league start. And of course, from that day forward, he went on to to earn his place really um, uh, quite regularly in the side. And um, at the end of the season, he was in the 2018-19 Championship Team of the season. He won the Young Player of the Season Award as well, And he did fend off Harry Wilson and James Justin called up to the England under-21s for the first time in August just last year. So I think he's one for the future of English football. And I think if you're looking at um, a strong, exciting defender, right back, an excellent right back, he needs to be at a bigger club, a big club who potentially could be playing in Europe to give him that experience. And I think he's an exciting one to watch and too exciting to stay at Norwich.
2: Sorry. Mm -hmm. I picked out Lloyd Kelly of Bournemouth now this is me on both sides of the fence really, he's 21, he's young, of course he's had so many injury problems this season which he said has actually developed his mental game and his resilience, he's had to put up with a lot and of course he's been surrounded by some of the best backroom staff in the game in terms of the type of level of recovery and um, coming back from injury that he's had whether that's you know physically or mentally but for me he's a player that I wouldn't be surprised to go to another club. Equally, I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised to see him stay at Bournemouth and um, secure a lot more game time. Um, he did come back, you know, he had, had that 13-month wait to make his Premier League debut. Um, he did so against Wolves in June and he's played fairly consistently since then. Signed from Bristol City for £13 million last summer. He's an England under-21 player, but he has been lauded by Eddie Howe for his maturity and thinks that the defender has good leadership capabilities as well. Of course, he can play at left-back or centre-back. So in terms of being developed at a Premier League side, I could totally see Lloyd Kelly fitting in. I'd highlighted possibly Everton for him to go to, but really I think it's just it's just important for him that if he's to be the player that people expect him to be, he's surrounded by that kind of top-level support at all times. Well, there we go. That rounds that up. Uh, The transfer window will be open from 27th of July to the 5th of October. That's been confirmed this week. And there's a bonus domestic window until the 16th of October. So we'll wait and see what happens. Up next, though, oh, we've been teased by Amazon. (laughs) OK, topic two. Well, I'm happy to announce that uh, Tottenham's All or Nothing does have all in it and not nothing, in that it looks to be very exciting indeed. This is the documentary that's going to be released later this year. And, you know, according to the trailer, all all, all 40 seconds of it, uh, there'll be the sacking of Pochettino, the hiring of Jose, and a pandemic thrown in, which could make for a really exciting prospect. So whilst we mull over that, uh, we got to thinking about how... Other clubs could benefit from a documentary or we as viewers could benefit from seeing particular clubs at particular points in their time behind the scenes. So, uh, Lindsay and Haley, tell me who you would um, have loved to fly on the wall account for um, and at what point in their history. Hayley, let's go to you. Oh, my goodness. So mine are just a couple of things that have happened
1: at clubs that I'd loved to have been a fly at the wall at. So maybe not necessarily a whole season, but you know what? Cameras behind the scenes of any season at any club, I'm sure would be entertaining. But I would like 2010 to have been filming behind the scenes at Manchester United. It was the season that I left United to come to Sky. And I remember hearing about what had been going on there with Wayne Rooney about to sign for Manchester City. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I remember mm-hmm. as well finding out that Sir Alex Ferguson had literally taken him into his office, sat him down. I think he practically locked the door and had him in there. We know he never left Manchester United and he stayed for quite some time. It was Sir Alex Ferguson that left before Rooney. But he I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall, <laughs> At that time, with everything that was happening between City and United, because we just had Tevers, of course, going to City and the famous posters, hadn't we, put up in Manchester City Centre that just felt just, it was just awful as City were kind of emerging as big guns and Manchester United were worried about the future and key names and big names leaving. And, you know, Ronaldo had left to go to Real Madrid and everything was starting to, you thought, oh, it's all kind of falling apart here, but... I remember hearing about um, fallouts between some of the players because of Rooney going there. I remember there were um, fans who'd gone to his house and and sort of spray painted and on the sort of walls hadn't they around yeah. his um, around his home, which is obviously not great. The paparazzi were camped out, but I'd have loved to have been a fly on the wall in <laughs> that season in particular. Of course being runners-up as well, of course, to, to, to Chelsea. Then they did go on the following season and make sure they won the league and Sir Alex kind of left on a high and everything. But just that season with all the turmoil and everything kind of changing at United, and it's just the scandal of it all. It's the scandal of it all. Duh, but it never happened, scandal. obviously, did it. But it, it was. you wonder kind of how it was leaked
2: to the press, how they found out and how they were so yeah. spot on. Mm. Lindsay, what kind of scandal would you like to have seen the behind-the-scenes version of?
0: What is it about that period of time? Because I'm going just slightly earlier, 2009, and I'm wanting to extend this behind the scenes doc for a season and a half, because that's how long Roy Keane was in charge of Ipswich Town. Uh. Now, first of all, <laughs> Roy Keane, this is box office written all over it anyway. He had very high profile falling outs with players at that yeah. time. So I'm going I'm to run through a couple that we know for definite. He fell out with John Walters, Um, He fell out with Ben Thatcher and Kevin Lisby. But these are some of the other players that left to go elsewhere during that time. Kieran Dyer left for West Ham. Jack Colback returned to Sunderland. Andros Townsend went back to Spurs. And Jake Livermore went back to Spurs as well. He was sacked after a defeat to Nottingham Forest in the January of the season after. And I think, really, the wheels were coming off after being beaten by Norwich, which are their fierce rivals. They were beaten 4-1 in November. And I think that was the beginning of the end for him. But, wow, I'd love to see the dressing room talks. I'd love to see the dressing downs. Yes, I just would absolutely lap that up. <laughs> You'd have to engage
2: the old bleep machine a lot, I think, for that uh, for that particular documentary. It would be possibly a lot more bleeps than anything. And a, and a couple of lawyers to throw in as well, you know. <laughs> You'd have to, yeah, it would have to have to be run through uh, through some sort of compliance for a very long time before it was released.
0: Do you think there would be any light to, to the shade? Because I, I actually have also read bits around this period he mm. loves his dogs, so there's, there's a lot of journalists that said that they had quite a nice rapport with him if they spoke about dogs. <laughs> and um, and uh, he really got on with David Norris, didn't he? That He made him his captain, and um, yeah. I think he paid his bill in a restaurant once, so uh, he's not all bad. I think possibly the moments of dark humour could be could uh, could be, <laughs> it could be the
2: lightest points. Do you know what, really weirdly, we, we didn't discuss this before the podcast, ladies, but we've both chosen the same era. Haley, you're 2010, Lindsay, you've come in at 2009. I was really trying to toss up between two clubs and I thought that the moral of my story would be how not to run a club. And it was a toss up between Blackburn 2010-2011 when Venkis came in, the mm. company more known for producing chicken dishes than Premier League players. Um, I was toying up with that because of course there was a whole load of controversy, fans not happy, clubs seeming to fall apart a little bit when they arrived. But I've gone for Portsmouth. And just like you, Lindsay, I've gone for that 2009-2010 season. And I've spread mine sort of across two half seasons, I suppose, possibly a season and a half in total. But this was the Portsmouth, of course, who reached two FA Cup finals in the late 2000s. They won it in 2008 with Sol Campbell, Jermaine Defoe, Lasana Diarra. Harry Redknapp resigned, the club was under huge financial pressure, and then when you get to the 2009-2010 season, it all starts to fall apart. It was the season where they reached the FA Cup final. Avram Grant was in charge. How fascinating to get an insight on Avram (laughs) Grant. The players not being paid. That happened around January February time in 2010. The club entered into administration twice by the way. Um, First of all in that sort of February-March time. Uh, There was a new owner for the club Baram Chanrai. He came out in the February. I think this is the first time they went into administration and said that the club were approximately £135 million in debt. The whole football world went, what on earth has gone on with this club? It was a tale of woe. By the end of that season, Avram Grant had left. There was a nine-point penalty. They were relegated um, to the Championship. Two seasons in the Championship, then down to League One, then down to League Two. And it was the start of that slippery slide. But in terms of how not to run a club, what on earth happened behind the scenes for it to go so bad? Badly, so wrongly, I would love that particular point in Portsmouth's uh, time. Haley, I mean, if we're talking about absolute juicy
1: scandal, what about Chelsea? Back when John Terry and Wayne Bridge were all involved in oh, the Oh, gosh. It was oh my Vanessa gosh, Peroncel and yes. Um, former girlfriends of teammates and all of that that went on I mean my god I'd love to have been a fly on the wall in that that was just a big old mess for those that don't remember just
2: google John Terry affair teammates and <laughs> it's probably and, easier and, and we're probably it, likely to get into a lot uh, a lot less trouble here on this yeah, podcast I didn't if I do not want we don't to get through the ins and outs
1: too much media bother. That's right. This isn't actually a club team, but I'd have liked to have had the cameras following Germany during the last World Cup and Joachim Love and what happened after they were gloriously beaten Uh, in that famous game against South Korea and and apparently there was deadly silence in the (laughs) dressing room, wasn't there, in Russia. They'd gone out of a World Cup, the first stage since 1938. Yes, they had a couple of... um, big names who'd who'd kind of retired or were on their way out. There was Captain Philip Lahm, uh, Miroslav Klose as well, Per Mertesacker then uh, retired. There was Lahm's successor, Bastian Schweinsteiger. He followed suit in 2016. It was all change with the national team at that time. But losing to Mexico, losing to South Korea and We at Sky actually managed to check in to the German National Team Hotel after they left it because we were struggling for somewhere to stay that was in close proximity to getting around the grounds because we were non-rights holders. So myself and a small crew checked into this. It was supposed to be a luxurious spa hotel and it was, I can only describe as... (laughs) It was like the faulty towers of luxury hotels. (laughs) I'd have liked to have been a camera following the German team going to the hotel and checking in. Obviously, they'd done a check before they went with the facilities and there were sort of big parks on the outskirts and lots of astroturf and places for them to be able to train. But the rooms were decorated sort of very nineteen sort of late 70s style. The downstairs was definitely very 1980s. It was just, it was all a bit, Grim, and I'd have liked to have been a fly on the wall, seeing them check into their hotel, luxury and accommodation. Were, yep, and just following their tournament because it was <laughs> it was an absolute disaster,
2: and we'll we'll see how they pick up from there. Really, next World Cup. <laughs> well. Um, some interesting suggestions there. It's a shame we can't go back in time. Um, But we could, of course, see um, a lot more to come from these behind-the-scenes docs. We've got one from Chelsea to come as well, focusing on the women's side. So, hmm, all to look forward to. All right, uh, well, All or Nothing is out in the autumn and uh, Chaiso Marina behind-the-scenes should be well worth a watch. Uh, One more topic to go then. Anyone fancy a game? Well, over the lockdown period, we've uh, well, we've really been getting into ball games, haven't we? Well, Lindsay has. Uh, but now that the football's back in our lives, the new game in town, ladies, is Man United penalty bingo this has come about, of course, because the club's broken the record for the most penalties in one season. They've had 13 penalties this season, scoring nine of them. So uh, that's been doing the rounds on Twitter, much to my amusement. Um, Hashtag Man United penalty bingo. So some non-Man United fans would suggest uh, that it's a bit of a guessing game when the next penalty will be given. Uh, We wouldn't dare comment on that. Uh, But the real question is,
0: if a Premier League team were a board game... What would they be, Lindsay? Well, it's a toss up, isn't it, for Monopoly. Whether if you go with the FFP ruling, um, then oh, it's you'd say maybe. Well, it's, it's maybe Man United, isn't it, if you listen to Pep, because he says he couldn't afford mm. Maguire and he couldn't get Sanchez. So it could be Man United or it could be Manchester City if you think there's something to that. Well, Monopoly, I have down as Manchester City because they've got all that money right.
1: They're still trying to work their way around that board game to get back to the top of the table. But this week, they got the ultimate get out of jail, didn't they? Yes. Ooh, yes. good
2: tie in. Yes. Good tie in. See, see. I've gone for Snakes and Ladders and Birmingham City, being that they are the team that's been promoted to and relegated from the top division more times than any other English club. 12 promotions, 12 relegations. Birmingham City are my Snakes and Ladders.
0: I think Snakes and Ladders as well could also apply to streaky teams, teams that have good runs and fall (laughs) off. Um, So maybe Leicester City or or Man United, because that tends to happen under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? They could Mm -hmm. maybe fit in there too. What about a good old game of Operation?
1: Yeah, the little man and you you buzz the way through his body. Mm. It's Arsenal. They're the most injured team at the moment. They've got Ozil out, apparently, although he did tweet the other day that he's ready. Ready for what? We're not sure, but ready to come back more than likely. Martinelli, Bernd Leno, Chambers, Marivia. There's a long list of Arsenal injuries and particularly since the lockdown as well. So they are definitely a game of operation.
2: Rivaled only by Newcastle, who oh. I, I I think I have a few more injuries for Newcastle oh, than really? Arsenal, but they, they okay. I, I mean, it obviously changes I'm daily, talking, doesn't it? I'm talking big names. I'm talking big well, names here. You Sean know. Longstaff, Andy oh. Carroll, oh. Alan Sam oh. Maximin, you know, mm. uh, uh, but, but anyway, Newcastle and Arsenal both fighting it out um, to be the game of operation.
0: Sam Maximin's back now, Kate, because I do FPL. So just letting uh, you know, he's back okay. in, getting a few points. Very good. Very good. I'm going to throw in Scrabble and I'm going to say that Brighton get this simply by having one player on their books, Yahambash. Because if you get that name in Scrabble, you are winning. Oh, oh. yeah. see Scrabble, although they're not a British team, I've got
1: Munch and Gladbag because that's 23 letters, <laughs> Lindsay, 23.
0: <laughs> but does that I, I mean Ali Reitha Yahambash, let's we ought to work out who gets the most out of those mm-hmm. two. Borussia no, Munchen and I, or... I think
2: I think you win, you win. We
0: should give Tottenham
2: uno, shouldn't we? Because Jose Mourinho is the special uno, the special one. <laughs> hungry
0: hippos I've got. And I'm, oh. I'm giving that to Sheffield United because what a season they've had. And they've shown mm. it as being about mm. the team, the team togetherness. That's how they've done it. They've been hungry every match. They're hungry for European football. Hungry hippos.
1: I've got, what about a game of guess who? I mean, this is Newcastle right now with their own <laughs> saga. It's like... Who is gonna take charge? It's gone from Manda Staveley <laughs> to Saudi billionaires to fans to goodness knows what. So that's that's one from me there for Newcastle.
2: Well, here's one from producer Abbey. He's better known for his skills on the football pitch, but it turns out that all this time, Axel Twanzebi has a secret talent. The Manchester United defender has broken the world record for the fastest clearing of a Hungry Hippos board. <laughs> uh, he finished the game in a super-speedy 17.36 seconds, setting a brand-new Guinness world record. Is this True. There needs to be some Googling after this. Um, And whilst I was uh, Googling, ladies, on this particular topic, do you know that Footballers' Wives, the TV programme, had a board game? No. What on earth could you make of a board game connected to that programme, you might ask. Well, mm-hmm. the instructions tell us online that you have to use your knowledge of the series to answer questions in order to own that fabulous house, the swimming pool, the designer wardrobe, mm-hmm. etc. The aim of the game <laughs> is to get to the players' lounge with all your assets intact. I bet it Along is. the way, you'll get rewarded for blowing £10,000 in Gucci or being voted the best-looking celebrity couple. If you know the show, the line goes, then you'll know what to expect. I literally couldn't think of anything worse. All right, well, let's call time on our games round. If you've got suggestions, by the way, please send them over to us at Offside Rule Pod. Um, and if you like our games, check out our episode called "The Bin of Disinfectant" for our Who's in the Bag game. This is producer Ravi's most proudest moment, uh, where we quickly try to describe players, uh, and we well, it ends in a draw, so it does need to come back, doesn't it, Lindsay? Your playing style has been criticised on Twitter. I noticed. <laughs>
0: yeah I'm happy for a rematch Kate okay good you're on Uh, well
2: just before we end this podcast though let's go to any other business okay any other business here we go this of course uh, means that we are going to be pointing out some of the smaller news stories that you might have missed over the last week or so Lindsay what's caught your eye
0: I wanted to mention, because I sent a picture to Hayley this week, Uh, the in-laws were rooting around in their loft and they found an old programme from when Leeds were playing in Europe against Barcelona. Uh, Johan Cruyff was in the Barcelona team and there on the back of the Leeds squad was Gordon McQueen. So I sent these pictures over to Hayley, playing alongside Joe Jordan, who I know are very good friends, aren't they? Norman Hunter, Billy Bremner.
1: It was very cool. And do you know what? The attention to detail of the programmes back then, it was a beautifully hand-illustrated front cover. I don't know if many people have been rooting around in their attics or their sheds or garages or whatever, this lockdown, having big clear-outs of stuff. And I'm sure plenty of football and sports fans have been going through old programmes. And it's amazing to see how they've obviously changed over the years. But there was just something really lovely about that particular programme. Really nice for me obviously to see my to see my dad in it. I kind of forget that he did play football and he played in some <laughs> monumental games and it's super cool to have Leeds United back up in the in the Premier League. That's going to be very exciting again. Yeah. But yeah, thanks for that, Linz. And I forwarded it on to my mum. My dad spent about 20 minutes trying to figure out how to open the attachment and then find his glasses. <laughs> but when he eventually did, he had a little smile on his
2: face and felt Aww. quite proud. Yeah. Do you know what, Haley, talking of Leeds and your dad, um It would be remiss of me not to ask you, of course, about the sad passing of Jack Charlton. He died at the age of 85 last week. Did your dad have some lovely words to say? Yeah, I mean, Jack was, uh, he'd obviously been at Leeds United his his
1: whole career. He was an absolute Mm. legend there, a hero. Everybody loved him. And dad was this young, tall, lanky, Scottish whippersnapper who was, Heading to the club um, that not many people knew too much about and was was trying to fill the boots of Jack Charlton my dad might have size 10, 11 feet but he said Jack Charlton's boots were so big to fill he just said it was you know such an honor he said he really looked after him really looked out for him it wasn't sort of bitter he knew he was his career was sort of coming to an end there and he was looking to to retire and was just really pleased that he had somebody young and excited and enthusiastic to kind of um look after he said my dad was like sort of a a big dog that had to sort of tame and and help and guide and steer in so he he enjoyed that my dad was living in Diggs at the time and I know Jack had taken him and Joe Jordan out for um the odd coffee mum ended up my mum who married my dad many years later when he was at Leeds United um used to meet up with Jack and his wife occasionally as well which was which was great and then of course he had Bobby didn't he Bobby Charlton when he was at Manchester United not playing with him but as as part of the club they were a lovely family and I remember Jack Charlton and when I was at Burra TV would do the occasional co commentary stint when he was looking to kind of do a little bit of media work, but nothing too high profile He just enjoyed getting up onto the gantry and I used to do a little bit of floor managing um, and I would take up the team sheets i 'd run up there with tea and coffee i 'd make sure I was in the press room getting any information up to the commentary team and i'd gone up to the gantry and was about to hand the team sheets over to the commentator and to Jack and he had this bag of sweets now you can't really call commentate eating boiled sweets. (laughs) And I was like, oh, Jack. I said, "Um, I think they were, you know, those like Murray mints, you know, you get a selection of mints and the kind of rustly paper. I was like, well, he can't really be eating them either because the the papers are going to rustle. But he had this sweet in his mouth and he was chatting away to us like, and he was from the Northeast, which again was great living, you know, we were in Middlesbrough and he was not too far away. And I'd said, oh, Jack, this is genuine story. And this has happened to a couple of people as well. He was known for it. He wouldn't share his suite. And I, actually, I was like, oh, what have you got there? And he told me what they were and he just never offered me one. And our cameraman at the time was like, oh, he said, there's not a chance you'll get a sweet off Jack Charlton. He said he keeps them in a little tin in his car. He pours them into a little sort of pouch and he brings them to the game. Yeah. So that's that's a little memory. Oh, I have, of him, which, is, memory. which is quite sweet, quite mm. literally.
0: <laughs> Lindsay. I suppose I'm wondering what you've all made of Clive Tildsley this week. Uh, he put this video online and there has now been so much pickup from it being pushed aside as as he's put it for um for ITV to be the, the second in command rather than the number one league commentator for England Games and Champions League finals. I just I just wondered what you made it made of all of that. I think it's a real shame that he hasn't had much time to digest it because he'd obviously heard about it
1: and felt so upset about it. He went on to to record a video telling everyone how disappointed he was about the decision. <laughs> on the other hand, it's a massive, massive thing for Sam Matterface. Yeah. Um, he made the brave move. He left Sky Sports News to try and cut it as as a commentator. And he's worked really hard ever since, became obviously popular with Dancing on Ice. People know him, people really like him. He's a really good broadcaster. And whether he's as good as Clive, I'm not too sure. Clive obviously has the experience and that's priceless in in, in my opinion. And I love his famous, he's got a famous voice, hasn't he? I'm yeah, sure he Sam Matterface mm-hmm. will, as, as the years go on growing, he will become more of a recognisable voice. But it was a shame that Sam didn't get any recognition. It was all about Clive, not you know, being stripped of that position as opposed to Sam being given it. But I also think that at the moment we're discussing a lot, aren't we? We've we've had many years of us a lot discussing sexism. We've recently been talking about racism. And I just look at this and think, well, is there a touch of ageism here? We saw what happened with Mark Pugach as well. So,
2: yeah. and you know... You know- also a lot of the senior reporters at sky sports news and i think that that was a budgetary thing as well and of course times 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 move on and we need to think about diversity much more and And rightly so in this day and age. I think for me, with this sort of seemingly, you know, seeming raft of raft of senior people in football, whether they're commentators, reporters, broadcasters going, I think it's all about the manner in which they were let go. And also the broadcaster or just broadcasters in general respecting their experience Um, A job in football, for me, certainly has never been a job for life. We've all kind of bought up around that hustling, freelancing, etc. But I think for a lot of these guys, they have been with organisations, they have been attached to, to broadcasters for sometimes decades. And so whereas we might be used to moving around, they're not. And I think... You know, for me, it sort of really depends how they were told and also whether their experience, whether what they have picked up along the way can be shared with a younger generation in a and respected too, in a positive way. Mm -hmm. It Uh,
0: happened.
1: You're so right there. I mean, it happened with Nick Collins and I was absolutely shocked, gutted. mm -hmm. You say it was obviously a budget thing. It was. They let go of quite a lot of people. It was the roles they let go, they say, as opposed to them, you know, it being sort of individuals. We had Phil Edwards, a a wonderful senior rugby um, reporter. But Nick Collins being let go from Sky for me was just i don't i i I don't think any of us can still quite believe it now, and that was a couple of mm-hmm. years ago, and he's been so loyal to sky um and I think it does kind of change your mindset about how you feel, not necessarily about sky I work there, I love it, I really respect my my bosses, but it does make you think okay. You know, if if they can just let go of Nick Collins, they can let go of anybody. And I, I think it is a real shame that, yes, we see managers come and go. That's kind of part and parcel of football, but you don't really think it's going to happen in broadcasting. And it, it has done with some of these mm. really great guys with really recognisable and respected voices.
0: I've worked with Clive recently with the Prime Video coverage for the Premier League, um, and he did a brilliant job there. He has got one of those iconic voices. And the last thing that I would say on that is... I don't think this is going to be a commentator who's being sidelined completely or out of work. I think other broadcasters will come in and they will snap him up. So I think we'll still be hearing a lot from Clive. <laughs> All right, ladies, good thoughts there. Thank you very much. We're going to round up any other
2: business um, because um, we've been talking for a long time, (laughs) as we like to, but it's always interesting, isn't it? Um, Let's call time on this podcast then and tell you lovely listeners that you can get in touch with us at Offside Rule Pod via Instagram and via Twitter. Our website, offsiderulepodcast.com, fresh content going up nearly every day there. So do jump over and have a look at that. Um, Don't forget, by the way, uh, we're now part of The Athletic. If you'd like a 30-day trial, not just to get your podcasts without adverts, but also to sample some of their brilliant writing. Uh, head to theathletic.com forward slash offside to take advantage of a 30 day trial. FA Cup predictions, ladies, let's just squeeze this in quickly. On Saturday, Arsenal play City, and on
0: Sunday, Man United play Chelsea. Who is going to make the final? Man City, definitely, for me. I I think they'll brush aside Arsenal, despite having that good result against Liverpool. Um, They don't, in this fixture... Um, Arsenal haven't done that great, have they, against City in United Chelsea's
2: No, United-Chelsea is harder to call. But Hayley, are you going to stick with loyalty there and go with uh, Man United? I'm going to have
0: to, yes,
1: I am. But I think it would be really nice for Frank Lampard to get to a final in his first big season managing Chelsea in a season where it's been very, very difficult for him as well. But United traditionally don't do very well against Chelsea. But he was hoping, because of the FA Cup which is very hard to predict, that Manchester United might just get something out of this and have a big City United final with no Well,
2: there you go. Mm. So we are going for an all-Manchester final here on the show of the FA Cup. We'll wait and see what happens. For now, though, ladies, thank you very much. Enjoy your weeks, whatever they behold. And uh, listeners, we will speak to you again next week.
0: The Offside Rule is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. My
1: name is Matt Davis Adams. I present the Athletics Chelsea podcast straight out of Cobham, and I'm a supporter of the two time European champions, Nottingham Forest. That's all well and good, but for the purposes of this promo, I want to tell you that I also host the very excellent Totally Football League show, where every week I'm joined by Swindon Town legend Sam Parkin and Southend stalwart slash journeyman Adrian Clark as we follow this championship season to its conclusion. The Totally Football League show is now part of the Athletics Network of Podcasts. And if you're an Athletic subscriber, you can hear ad-free versions of each episode on the Athletic app. But don't worry, if you really like adverts, you can hear them by searching for the Totally Football League show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football League show with me, Matt Davis-Adams. Because there's football outside the Premier League too, you know?
2: Muddy News Media Sports Social Podcast Network